Hey everybody, it's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up, or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. The following program is presented for entertainment purposes. WCHQ does not necessarily endorse the ideas presented. Fearscape is a program that explores the legends and lore around many creepy and scary things. Information is researched and presented in an entertainment fashion and is presented based off of what we found. Legends have a way of changing over time. So, beware. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Fearscape here on 100.9 FM WCHQ, as well as the Destination Nation Network. Fearscape is your home for all things spooky, paranormal, occult, supernatural, all that goodness. I am Stefan, your host for the evening, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Josh Rutledge. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Got the Barry White action going. (laughs) Uh, We have a really cool episode for you tonight. We're going to be discussing the Allagash abductions, which uh, I believe, uh, where did this happen at? Maine. In Maine. Oh, well, that explains with Allagash. That sounds very Maine. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, we're going to be getting into that. We love our abduction stories. Uh, Not Sorry for the people that got abducted. I don't mean to say it like that. Uh, We don't love that you got abducted. Right. It sucks. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I I do enjoy talking about these stories. I I love finding proof into uh, the extraterrestrials. So... um, but yeah, we're we're gonna be getting into talking to that, and uh, before we get into that, you got some spooky news for us. I do have some spooky news. All right, well, let's move right into spooky news. All right, so um, this comes to us from Kark.com. Uh, it, it appears to be Kark. Uh, K-A-R-K. Oh, I think it's like Quark, like from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That would have been really cool. You've got to pay in gold press Latinum. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it it appears to be like maybe a local uh, NBC station, wherever this is. Oh, okay. um, This is in uh, Russellville, Arkansas. So uh, there's a video accompaniment accompaniment for this uh, story. So if anybody wants to know just... Get on there and, and look up um, a clown digging hole. Clown <laughs> digging <laughs> hole. Oh man! Yeah. All right. So that kind of sets the stage. So uh, this this eighteen uh, year old kid um, in Russellville, Arkansas, is out driving um, one night, and uh, he and his friend uh, come across a clown digging on the side of the road. Um, he says around 9.30 p.m., he and his friend decided to go to his favorite spot near a lake and talk about a problem his buddy was going through. Been there, done that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were just going to talk about things, but it's a good place to get away. We pulled up down the road, and there was a clown just sitting there. Now, the video I, I watched, and, and like you can see this kid took this with his iPhone, and, and it is a, a, a just a guy in a clown suit uh, digging a hole in the side of the road, 
And then he proceeds to, I guess he sees the car, so he proceeds to then walk with the shovel dragging behind oh, him. Oh, no, no. <laughs> towards the car. No, no, I'd be out of there like <laughs> grease lightning, dude. <laughs> the video has had more than 800,000 views. Um, you know, he goes on to say, I'm personally afraid of clowns. Hello, me Same. too. Uh, he can't watch it. Uh, I can't watch the new one. I, oh, I can watch it, but I watch it because I like being scared, but it scares the tar hooties out of me. But yeah, um, apparently there, uh, during Halloween time, during you know this kind of time of the year, there's an uptick in clown sightings. Yes, I remember, what, last year or the year before where it was like nuts. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just so. I guess if uh, if you really want to just scare the piss out of people, just dress up as a clown and dig a hole inside the road, <laughs> and then drag that <laughs> sucker drag. behind you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So yeah. Um, so that is the uh, that's spooky news. So I find that interesting for spooky news. Uh, but what you said, hey, we've all been there. When we were in high school, we used to say, hey, we, we had this pact, our group of friends, that we would go. If we ever called and left a message, we would just say, hey, we're going to be there. So, you know, if we because we all just, you know, had trouble being kids and stuff like that. And there always meant Greenwood Boat Docks here in Louisville, Kentucky. And so we all knew we needed to meet up and be there for each other. Well, one night we get a call from Josh that says, Hey, guys, the stuff is going on. It's crazy. If I could get there, I would be there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even remember what that was about. I don't either, man, but you couldn't get there. That was the funniest part. Mm. And so we were like, well, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) (laughs) Drive around aimlessly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so I always remember that. If I could be there, I would be there. Wow. I don't even remember what that was. Yeah, probably an X or... Nathan. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. But no, I wanted to share that because that's immediately what I thought of was I remember that because I had my own phone line. And so I remember I had that uh, that that's not a voicemail answering machine message forever and ever. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Phone lines. Imagine phone lines. (laughs) So hotline bling phone line bling a whole different thing. Uh, all right, so uh, do you got any uh, creepy ketchup? Because once again, I got nothing. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I don't know. I do have some creepy ketchup. All right, well, let's get into it. Let's get into a little bit of creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Y'all, it's creepy. I love that tune. <laughs> love that tune. Suck it, Brad. It's so catchy. So you got a little something happening. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think I shared, I'm uh, pretty sure I shared a couple of weeks ago about my dream um, with, uh, you know, the alien right. abduction and all that kind of stuff. I think it was in my kind of intro intro uh, episode. But uh, so so since then, I've had some interesting dreams. And uh, I, I don't know if, you know, I kind of, I, ha- I do have a theory around why, where some of your dreams come from if you believe in the multiverse mm-hmm. and I believe sometimes that our universe rubs up against other universes in the multiverse and so you glimpse your counterparts life I, I absolutely believe that and it's something that when I was a child I believed it. I didn't believe it as big as a multiverse, but I believed it as a second dimension where when I was asleep, I was dreaming about my counterpart's life 
And when he was asleep, he was dreaming about mine. Yeah. And so, you know, at the time I was going through some abuse and some things like that. And I thought, man, this this these are his nightmares and all the crazy vampire stuff that's happening yeah. in his reality are are mine. Right. Right. You know, that's what I always thought. Well, yeah. I mean, it, so it's kind of along the same line. So yeah. a, lot, a lot of times when I think about, you know, when I have these dreams where I'm in this really kind of, I don't know, off the wall uh, situation, I think, well, maybe I'm just glimpsing. Uh, me in another yeah. universe in that, another uh, decision yeah so <laughs> another decision's path but um so yeah so the the dreams of the last two nights uh i'll just kind of uh, summarize so one was um I, I was a part of a of a crew on a spacecraft um we had to leave the spacecraft for some reason i don't remember what but uh, we were all tethered together like in ev suits going okay. out of the spacecraft to try to catch on to another space. So not crap. like human centipede tethered together. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. So no. everyone can <laughs> breathe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, well, I mean, you're in an EV suit in space. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I always yeah. think of that movie, um, what was that, that Mars mission, or whatever it was, where the guy farts in the EV suit. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. That's yeah. what it is. I love yeah. Rocket Man. Yeah. I, yeah. I watch my kids, I made my kids watch that. And yes. They were so bored. So. Oh, no. <laughs> But anyway, so we're, we're going out to, to try to catch another um, spacecraft that's, like, coming by that we're going to use to get down to the planet. Now, if any of this sounds familiar, it's actually used in a movie. I think it's uh, Mission to Mars. Uh, but anyways, so this is all happening. So we get down to the planet, and um, I find myself in, like, a uh, an alien uh, stronghold, I guess. And I'm like I'm walking around, and and I accidentally bump into something, and I knock it over, and then there's just like this big bellow, and this alien with uh, with eight feet that are like big elephant feet, mm-hmm. um, and like you know f- uh, four arms and and four eyes and two mouths comes like, and he's like he's huge. I mean he's probably twenty fifteen or twenty feet tall, and he comes walking through the doorway, and <clears throat> kind of I kind of you know decide to follow him to try to hopefully he won't find me if I'm behind him right because right. he's huge. And I see him, like, ordering all these kind of servants around, telling them to go find the intruder. And I get found by, the, like, this dog-type creature, and uh, then I wake up. <laughs> so that was so that was one dream. So then the second dream, this is, like, maybe a couple nights later, I am a, uh, I am a psychic uh, intergalactic bounty hunter. Yes! Um, and uh, I use my psychic abilities to read other bounty hunters... And know uh, if they have uh, large bounties so that I can steal those bounties from them. I'm in a room, uh, like in a bar or something, that's full of bounty hunters. And I'm scanning the room trying to find a bounty. And I come across someone who has a bounty on me. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, there's an altercation and I wake up. So bounty it, hunter versus bounty <laughs> hunter. <laughs> so, it's, you know, so number one, if anybody needs some really good fan fiction ideas, yeah. you know, just... Just flip it into Star Wars, and then you've got <laughs> Boba Fett versus IG-88. <laughs> or so, Dengar. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my creepy catch-up. I mean, they Man, I some, love dreams, man. Dreams yeah. are definitely weird, and keep bringing them if you've got some, because I just had a dream I was at my old house eating stuff. <laughs> I was <laughs> so. eating Fruit Loops in my underwear. Yep, and yeah. All right, so that was Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup. Creepy. Ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup. Y'all, it's creepy. 
Alrighty, so we are here at Fearscape, and we are going to be talking about Allagash abduction. So, warning to all of our blanket huggers, grab those blankets and hold them tight, because yep. it's about to be freaky deaky. Freaky. Freaky deaky. <laughs> Alright, what do we got? Alright, so, uh, Allagash Waterway in, uh, in Maine. Alright, so this, uh, we basically have, <clears throat> um... Four um, friends. Uh, actually, there's there's two uh, brothers who are twin twin brothers, uh, Jack and Jim, and um, and then their two friends, uh, Chuck and Charlie. Now, I think it's interesting that Chuck is probably short or for Charlie. So basically, yeah. they have two friends both named Charlie. Yeah, essentially. So. <laughs> but um, maybe that's why he went with Chuck. With Chuck, yeah. <laughs> and we got another guy. His name's Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so they like they they met back in uh, in Massachusetts College of Art. They're they're artists, <clears throat> and um, they uh, became friends. And was um, beginning their beginning their careers, and they decided to uh, to go camping and fishing um, on a trip to the uh, Allegash waterway which again us up in maine yeah sure i mean maine is essentially the montana of the northeast <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh i went to maine uh, once i swam in the ocean in in july and i remember that the water was so cold it reversed puberty so <laughs> uh i didn't have uh, reverse puberty but i used to spend a lot of summers up north in michigan and i swam in lake superior in july and yeah same thing massive massive shrinkage so <laughs> So, uh, so this all takes place in uh, August 1976. Man, that's interesting because the uh, the staff Stanford sister or the uh, Stanford three that yeah. happened in 1976 as well. Well, you think about really all the kind of really big abduction stories, like the the fire in the sky guy, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the sisters. This story, it's all like in the 70s. I yeah, mean, I mean, you think about we've seen sightings since then. But most of the, at least what I've been able to uncover, most of the big stories happened in the 70s. Well, and, you know, some of that could be uh, due to media coverage, you know, whereas today we laugh at it. We all, you know, or, you know, things are just handled differently. Who knows? Right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you the last time the news covered a legit abduction case. Right. Like, legit in our minds, anyways. And right. took it seriously. Legitimate in the mainstream. But yeah, I mean, 76, yeah. that was literally the same year as the Stafford 3. I don't know um, when Fire in the Sky was. I don't remember. But I want to say it was like 74, 75. Yeah, I know it was before these ones. So, yep. uh, But yeah, very interesting. Very yep. interesting. And I'm pretty sure the, the Stafford 3 was pretty close to that date as well. So Yep. <clears throat> so, um, so, anyway, so we've got these four these four gentlemen. They're, um, they're up. In Allegash, they're uh, going to do some uh, camping and some fishing, and um, so they decided they wanted to. They're out on uh, Eagle Lake, uh, which uh, I'm not entirely sure where that is, but I'm sure it's a lake in Maine. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, heard it's the main lake. <laughs> <laughs> well, the eagle has landed. <laughs> so the, so they're running low on food, and uh, they decided to do some uh, some night fishing. So before they left in their canoe. They built an extremely large campfire to be a landmark on shore uh, to help them navigate to their campsite and right. also provide some light because, again, they're night fishing. Right. Um, so 
they're uh, they're they're going out on the lake. Uh, they've been out on the lake for a little bit of time, and they they see a light um, that seemed much brighter than a star. The glowing orb, as it's called, was hovering over the trees a couple of hundred yards away. The object changed colors as it moved back and forth: red, then green, then a yellowish, kind of whitish yellow. Um, the massive the massive object it says was estimated to be 80 feet in diameter. Wow, I mean it's not a mile wide like Phoenix Lights, no, but, but for three guys in the woods, yeah. 80 feet is pretty yeah. nice. Three guys <laughs> in a canoe yeah. on a lake. I mean, hungry too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all saw Deliverance, okay? That's what happens when three men are on a canoe. Well, yeah, I mean it doesn't say here, but I would imagine that the craft made some kind of a banjo music sound. Right. <laughs> 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 so um, the object slowly moved across the tops of the trees and along the bank and as it came closer to the four fishermen uh, Charlie of the group decided hey let me signal SOS with my flashlight oh no, yeah here's a strange object <laughs> yeah. let's signal it even if it was a helicopter I still wouldn't have signaled no it. so um, immediately the object silently moved toward the canoe a guarded curiosity now turned into a frantic dash for the bank. So now they're like paddling as yeah. hard as they can for their headed towards their campfire. Um, they said it, it says a hollow light came from the object engulfing the men in their canoe. Interesting. Cause you remember in the Phoenix lights, they talked about the lights being see through. Remember? Yeah, right. Um, and so this is also a hollow light. Well, when you, when you kind of think about um, in, in, in a lot of television shows, uh, since obviously this is because color TV and all that advancement and stuff, but when you think about a lot of the TV shows, when they show kind of that white light from a craft engulfing people on the ground, mm -hmm. it is kind of, it's white, but you can see everybody within it. Yeah. Right? It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not so blinding white that you can't see anything. You know? Right. You know, I wonder how much of that, and TV is influenced by stories like this. Mm, interesting. Wonder. So, um, the next thing they knew, they were standing on the bank. So they had time loss. Yep. And it, and it goes on to say that the once um, glowing fire to be nothing but smoldering ashes. Interesting. So they were able to physically see that time had passed. Yeah. The, it says that uh, the the amount of wood and the and the size of the logs that were used it should have taken like several hours yeah. for it to burn down. So I mean that's that's pretty significant time yeah, gap. Absolutely. Um. So. Um, they kind of just packed up their gear and left and went about their respective careers and really didn't talk about it anymore. Uh, until uh, Jack started to have some nightmares. Yeah, so uh, Jack Weiner was the first to start having nightmares in this group. Uh, not a Charles. <laughs> <laughs> but in these dreams, he saw beings with long necks and large heads. He saw the beings examining his arm while Jim, Chuck, and Charlie sat on a nearby bench not able to intervene. The beings had large metallic glowing eyes with no lids, and their hands were insect-like with four fingers. The other three men were experiencing very similar dreams with short mental clips of that awful night on the lake. In 1988, out of curiosity, uh, Jim Weiner attended a UFO conference hosted by Raymond Fowler. Yeah, so, so Weiner um, met Fowler afterwards, 
and kind of related his strange encounter. The investigator was excited about Jim's story, especially the fact that it that it was a multiple witness occurrence. Fowler suggested to them that he, you know, he and the others undergo regressive hypnosis. Right, just like the Stanford Three. So, I, one real callback here I want to I want to make note of <clears throat> is again that kind of common thread around uh, this kind of me- the description of the aliens. I think meets the description of the Greys. Yeah. Um, the large heads, the yeah. skinny necks, the long insect-like fingers. Fingers, right? Mm-hmm. So what what's very interesting is, and I'll make a call back to the um, to the Fire in the Sky movie. If I don't know, you know, <clears throat> again, this is where it comes in handy to have a photographic memory. But in, there's a scene in the, there's <laughs> a scene in the movie where um, where the the guy gets loose from his captors and he's and he's mm-hmm. like wandering around the ship, and he comes across spacesuits yeah. that look like the Greys. So the so the aliens are not actually designed or they're not built that way anatomically that way. They're just the spacesuits that they're wearing right. make them look that way. So it's just again interesting. That's just how we perceive it as as an actual person. Much like if they ran into us in space, they would see this square head with a round bubble. Right. You know. Or if you think about it from a um, if in fact this is kind of an experimental type thing where they're where they're doing experiments on on us to try to understand whatever um they're likely going to wear some type of of a protective like a hazmat suit suit. i mean think (laughs) about it if if you encountered um something that you'd never seen before in a hazmat suit what would that look like yeah (laughs) creepy so or like a gas mask and stuff you know like yeah Yeah. Mm -mm. so but um so after the uh so they went ahead and did the uh, regressive hypnosis um and they had a couple a couple things so the uh it was revealed that all four men had been abducted abducted they had been subjected to humiliating physical examinations at the probe people including the taking of skin and fluid samples yep um that that's something that uh fire in the sky definitely hit on was that um sexual experimentation yeah which is interesting you know well in in a Kind of gets back to my thing about you know hybrids and yeah myth- oh yeah so <clears throat> um, I mean we we can grow life in a lab so why why wouldn't aliens be able to mm-hmm. so um, then it goes on to say that the men's descriptions of the aliens uh, aliens was consistent and being that they were artists they were able to make detailed sketches of the entities oh the I didn't even think about that and the examining instruments um. And I, I went ahead and, and underlined this because, again, I think this is kind of a common theme that I hear a lot, is that uh, Chuck added that the aliens' test area was similar to a vet's office with a silvery table, and you, you know you th- you hear yeah. about that kind of a lot. It's just like kind of that that platform type, yeah, metallic table uh, that everything seems to happen on. Interesting. And and again, when you think about it from a. Um, uh, uh, Scientists doing an investigation or or something or a test. Typically, we ourselves use metal tables because it's a sterile right. uh, environment. And so, again, it kind of gets back to what is what is the driving purpose behind the abductions and the test being done, and, and could it be some kind of an experimentation? Interesting, interesting. Um, he also related a strange fact where he said that he had 
much difficulty in focusing on the aliens and that when he tried, he could not put an exact image to them. And he compared it to trying to tune in a fuzzy radio station, which is something I've heard before. Well, in, in you know, I, I made a note here that in, in, my, in my dream that I talked about, uh, not the, the two for Creepy Ketchup, but yeah. the one from before, you know, I, I couldn't... Uh, yeah, you couldn't focus on the black figure. Yeah, you know, it was just kind of a black figure that was standing there, but I couldn't see any details about um, it. A lot of that, if you've listened back to Brad's experiment or experiences with the, the, the men in his room and stuff, he, he, he had trouble focusing on their faces. I mean, even with night hags, like, it's most of the time all you can see are eyes, yeah. you know, in this black figure. Like, but, and, you know, so, so part of that is, is you know, the, the, it begs the question... Is it your mind's inability to process what you're mm-hmm. seeing? Or um, could it be some sort of uh, memory manipulation that's occurring right. so that, indeed, you can't focus on what you're seeing because the memory has been altered? Right. So um, after <clears throat> the, uh, the psychiatric, psychiatric examinations uh, that were underdone as part of this, all four men were deemed to be mentally stable and they passed lie detector tests. So, you know, the, no intent to, to defraud or yeah. or lie. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's a really interesting. Um, I watched this thing that uh, William Shatner, I think it was William Shatner hosted, um, where they interviewed uh, alien abductees. Oh, I would love to see that. Wanna, no, it wasn't William Shatner. It was the guy, the new, um, the reboot of Star Trek. The guy who played Spock, Jeffrey uh, or uh, Zachary uh, Quinto. Oh, Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Okay. So he did. He did a thing, and I guess it was something that Litter Nimoy had done back in the seventies. It was the same type show. Oh yeah, uh, I think I just ran across the Leonard Nimoy one on Amazon Prime the other day. But so so it was really interesting because here it is, Zachary Quinto yeah. played Spock. So now same. we need the dude from Discovery to pick up the slack <laughs> yeah. here. But so they did an interview with a um, with an alien, uh, a gentleman who who claimed to be abducted by aliens, and they asked him if he would be willing to do a lie detector test, and he said, "Oh yeah, I've got nothing to hide." So they did a lie detector test, and the lie detector test found that he was lying. But he believed his story so much to the point that he he couldn't he couldn't conceive that he was that it would find that he was lying. But yet the lie detector test found that. So <clears throat> yeah, you know, there's there's some up there's some back and forth discussion around whether or not the validity of lie detector right. tests. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's <clears throat> it's really interesting here that they that they included that they did pass the lie detector test for this particular scenario. Um, so most of, um, this detail can be found in, um, there's actually a book called The Allagash, The Event, written by B.J. Booth. And, um, if you want to know more information about, uh, about what we talked about here, that's a good source. But I do want to go into, there's some, there's some detail here, um, what they call the, a- the aftermath. And so this is kind of a, an individual's, um, explanation or recounting of their experience going through with this with these four uh, in, in, in the process of documenting uh, for the book right <clears throat> so um, so first of all that there's an individual here that, that did the uh, regressive hypnosis and his name is is Anthony Constantino Con- Constantino mm-hmm. yeah is that how you pronounce that mm-hmm. okay I was gonna say Constantinian <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <clears throat> but um 
And what's uh, what's really interesting is is you know it, that individual was asked, um, "Do you believe them?" Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what they always ask all of the right. the hypnosis people. And um, and I was just kind of go ahead and you know I've got this kind of highlighted towards the end, but but the the big thing is is that he says. Um, you know, do you believe them? He, he he said he paused. He rubbed his chin as if weighing the gravity of this question. He looks up and nods solemnly. I do, he says. After working with those guys, I was scared. I still am. I think it's true. I think they were being tagged. The way we tag and study sharks and bears and then release them. The men were highly in, indignant that they were taking aboard and these things were done to them without their permission. So, I mean, think about that, the, the whole tagging thing. Ugh. I mean, and it stands, to, you know, it makes you wonder, um, again, with the um, kind of the kind of string of abductions that happened over, over a period of time, the comments that we made around uh, not being able to um, really recall the last time you heard about a, a big abduction in the media. Um, when we tag things in the open ocean we do it for a period of time and then we watch their migration or we watch their movement mm-hmm. so it's you know are we at a lull in the abductions until um until we whatever whoever's doing the study and comes up with enough data to be able to either a do some more tagging or b retrieve the tags right so um but yeah <clears throat> so one of the things that uh, was called out here was that um, they were actually on the Joan Rivers show, uh, which I tried looking up the date. I did find the episode. It's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried looking up the date of when that aired, and I, I really can't tell you. I can tell you that based on the clothing and the scene and the fact that it was dubbed over from VHS, it was probably back in the 80s or 90s. Oh, it had it. Well, Joan Rivers was like early 80s. Yeah. So, But, um, again, it's on YouTube if you want to go out there and watch the interview it's it's pretty interesting um but um they were uh they received national attention um like i said there was uh, a book that was written by uh, Ray, raymond fowler who's the guy that he met jim met at that ufo convention UFO so convention. raymond's from mufon yeah which we talk about a lot yeah. and so i didn't realize that at first but yeah he's from the mutual ufo network um and so uh i didn't realize that he's the one that wrote that first book so that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, like you say, I mean, he was the one that uh, that Weiner met at the uh, mm-hmm. at the convention that kind of started this whole, I guess, path this of whole under- kit and caboodle <laughs> of finding out finding out what the truth was. Um, but it, you know, it goes on to say that uh, you know those who are familiar with this case know that the full story, with all its mysterious and harrowing details, wasn't revealed until Anthony Constant Constantino whatever you said a while ago. Of Beverly, of Beverly, okay, mm-hmm. placed the four men under hypnosis and revealed events that had been pushed into their own consciousness. It's interesting because Constantino came out and said that it was the most intense experience that he had ever had as a hypnotist, which you got to imagine you're dealing with people that have dealt with trauma, with oh, abuse, yeah. with murder, with all sorts of stuff, yet this, this alien abduction case is the most intense experience he'd ever witnessed. And well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, because... You know, he he said that he spent 12 hours doing the hypnosis, uh, three hours with each of the four men. 
Um, so I mean that that's a lot of time to mm-hmm. immerse oneself yeah. in in the experience. But um, so you know we we know about the Eagle Lake and Maine. They went fishing for the evening. Um, they you know it goes on to provide that there was that that colored light that was hovering. Now this actually gives some detail that it was soundless. Uh, okay. Again, so that's kind of note back to the Phoenix Lights, the soundless, 200 to 300 feet above the uh, southeastern rim of the cove. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, I don't know, funny, but it says, when he blinked his flashlight at the object, maybe that was a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course, he signaled to. I mean, this thing may not have seen them. Right. I mean, it, it probably saw like the fire. The fire. They were it, probably already attracted to the fire. Right. But I mean, here you are, basically. You know, a hole in the water. But, right, they're know. out there looking for deer and bear, tagging. <laughs> yeah, mean. well, yeah, I mean that, that makes sense, right? Um, this goes on to say, you know, like again, kind of an explanation of the beam of light. It was cone shaped, so a cone shape implies that it was from a single source. Right? right, it wasn't illuminated from multiple different lights around the craft. It was a single source of light, um, and that the uh, the object struck the water and began following the canoe so it followed like a spotlight so i mean imagine they're they're paddling as hard as they can towards the shore and they can't get out of this light Mm -hmm. and this light is just following them as they go um but the beam engulfed them and the next thing they remembered they were in the canoe near the shore of the lake Watching the UFO ascend and disappear. Interesting. So they they see it. They're paddling. They wake up. They see it. Say goodbye. Yeah. That's got to be horrifying. Well, I mean, from a from a you know a UFO perspective, why couldn't you just you know quietly get out, put your pants on, yeah, you know, leave the room without letting anybody know. You know, why do you have to drop them off on the shore and then say bye, guys? <laughs> it's nice talking to you guys. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it goes on to, to to echo that the bonfire was nothing but embers that was built with heavy logs that should have lasted for hours. Um, it's kind of cool that they had that because a lot of times um, when it's dark like that, it, if you have a watch on, it'll freeze up and be at the time you left, yeah. so you don't know how much time how much has time. passed. But this gives a physical indicator of time. Yeah. Well, and I don't. I mean, I know I've had. Um, you know, my dad has built some pretty big fires in the mm-hmm. fireplace before. And um, and he'll go and stoke it and move logs around and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, it he's does. A log mover. <laughs> but it does take a long time. <laughs> it does it for a fire to burn does, down, especially a big one. Uh, however, though, I will continue on to say that it was years later before the four men explored that missing period of time, which is strange to me. I would have been on that immediately. I get that. I get mad when I go into Walmart thinking it's been fifteen minutes and it's been two <laughs> hours because the time wizards got gotcha. you. Uh, but when Jim Weiner suffered temporolimbic epilepsy, his doctors asked him to report any unusual experiences that might be symptomatic. And Weiner described his UFO experience and various phenomena that had happened to him and his camping buddies since then. His doctors suggested he contact a UFO researcher. And this is where Anthony Constantino comes in, a professional hypnotist from Beverly who also worked as an English teacher at a high school. Constantino had hypnotized Ray Fowler in 1988, helping him to remember the details of Fowler's own alleged abduction in Danvers, which we should totally find that and cover that. 
Fowler was leading the investigation of the Allagash abductions for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and he wanted Constantino to hypnotize each of them separately. And, of course, all four men, you know, participated. We know that. Constantino says it's natural. They wanted to know if something had happened to them, especially if it was something traumatic. They wanted to know for sure. So in 1989, in the dark den of Constantino's Beverly home, each of the four men separately recounted a tale of being beamed aboard the UFO that night on Eagle Lake. So it looks like then our date for the Joan Rivers show would have been eighty nine ninety. Yeah, more than likely. But think about it. So, the, so this is all coming to light in eighty nine. So this mm-hmm. is now thirteen yeah. years. Yeah. So it's years later. Um, so, so under hypnosis, they described the diffusely, diff, yeah, diffusely lit, sterile again, sterile interior of the mm-hmm. spacecraft, the spindly fingered, big eyed, bald headed aliens. That uh, Whiteley Stryber popularized with his nonfiction book Communion. I love Communion. Have you ever seen the movie? I have not. Uh, well, I have the book as well. The book is very different, but the movie has Christopher Walken in it, and he does one of his famous dance scenes on this UFO ship because this alien kind of gets him to do it. It's really interesting while he's abducted, like because they're really trying to get him. They're exploring different things about the humans and stuff. Yep. It's, it's crazy. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, human, a communion is based off of another true story. It's something I would love to cover down the road. Well, I'll have to make sure to watch that um, at like 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so the, um, uh, see, Constantino, uh, I, I'm just going to give up on trying to pronounce that name. Just call, just call um, him Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> says Fowler was cool and professional as he observed the 12 hours of hypnosis sessions. But uh, Anthony admits that at times he had difficulty repressing repressing his own astonishment. God. So his professionalism he couldn't even keep together. Yeah. Um, he says, I'm the one who kept making faces at Ray. Like, I can't believe this. I can't believe what was done to these guys. This is like Bankman looking at Ray as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, again, you know, it, it, kind of this this article kind of finishes out with just again echoing that you know anthony believed uh what these guys were saying um man i I would love and maybe it's in the book but i would love to get a hold of the transcript uh, from the hypnosis sessions i don't even know if it's out there or not but but man i would maybe we can do some research and see if we can find that or Mm -hmm. yeah we can share that online if somebody is listening and happens to know uh where that might be located maybe they can provide it but i mean it it would be really something to read uh, if that's available so Mm -hmm. but uh that so here's what's cool about this is um so not only are there various documentaries and stuff but it was covered on unsolved mysteries which is always super cool which all of the Unsolved Mysteries are available on Amazon Prime now, so I'm going to be looking for that specific episode, uh, as well as a TV program called Abducted by UFOs. Um, so that's very, very interesting. I wonder what that TV show is about. I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. Um, from something that I found, too, is that Charles Rack, okay, I believe that one's Charlie, right? Charlie has actually changed his story over time. Hmm. He it, 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 The other three still stand by it, and but Charlie now calls it a bit of brilliant storytelling. Uh. 
Um, according to him, he had an interview with the St. John Valley Times where he said he saw strange lights during the camping trip, but the abduction part of the story was a total fabrication. And he went along with the narrative for financial gain. Yeah, this <sighs> every to, time this to me says um, I can't deal with the pressure that I'm getting from mm-hmm. my friends and family uh, for being honest about this story. So I'm going to say it was a hoax. Yep. And of course, the other three members. <clears throat> The other three members of the group stand by the abduction story. According to Jim Weiner, Jack, Charlie, and I, after all these years, are still in agreement with the Eagle Lake event as we three remember it. We also accept the results of the hypnotic regression sessions and subsequent polygraph tests as supportive of an abduction scenario. (coughs) Jesus. (coughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's just, just so, <clears throat> you know, and I wonder how now we're, you know, we're getting to, let's see, it's uh, 30, right? 30 years? Is that? No, yeah. more, more than that, 40 yeah, years. Yeah, almost, it's, it'd be 43 years. Yeah. I wonder if it's still um, vivid in their minds, you know, because a lot of that kind of stuff sticks if with If they're you. even still alive, but, I mean, it's got to be. Um, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. I, I mean, it, it, like I said, it had to be frightening but i mean like i said rack is still coming out and saying that they did it for money and i'm really sick of this because it has that whole idea is the biggest things that skeptics say yeah but and and i will say this like i said during the uh amityville episode is who in their right mind is gonna put themselves and their family and their friends through all of this garbage and this horrible just Abuse or yep. whatnot for the slight possibility of, making of some fame. Money. Yeah, and if 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 we if we look into this, I, I I feel like that this story didn't even get popularized until the late eighties. Right. So it's like it's not even like they were like right afterwards. Right. Hey, let's go tell people yeah. this, you know? Because here we are, twelve years later, right. before anything even happens with it, because they had been going through mental breaks. <laughs> Well, I mean, and if you you kind of piece together the you know the fact that this guy had medical conditions, I, I'd imagine that it went something like this. Um, you know, he had he had that uh, medical condition. What was it called? The uh, lymphomic yeah. something or other. Olympic dick. Yeah, I don't want to because it's probably really serious conditions. I don't want to necessarily make temp tempo limbic epilepsy. Right. Yeah. So he has that. He goes to see a doctor. The doctor says, hey, have you ever had a traumatic experience, unusual experience? He says, oh, yeah, <clears throat> me and my buddies were abducted by aliens. Now, imagine, you know, first of all, his doctor's probably like, yeah, right, no, really, what happened? And, and he's like, no, really, you know. So then they direct him to the UFO researcher. That's when he probably goes to a convention, meets Fowler, and then everything kicks off. From everything there. kicks off from there. So, so I mean, that's, that's a long time. To hold on, I mean, not not no. I get it. They probably told their friends and family, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that all this happened, but but again, like you say, that's that's thirteen years later. That's a long time to hold on to something for fame and fortune. Yeah. Uh, so, so in this interview that I also found here on FiddleheadFocus.com, dot com, um, it really gets into Charlie's uh, skepticism. Um, he says that on the Wednesday before, the group witnessed an unidentified flying object during their canoe trip, both on the night of the alleged abductions, as well as two nights before on another lake called Chamberlain Lake. Hmm. So we're actually seeing two nights here. 
and he he still stands by that they saw this. So he he's not saying that it was a helicopter. He is legit yeah. saying they saw a UFO. Um, he said that it was the most vivid sighting he had seen. He had an uncomfortable feeling of being stared at. He turned around and saw a very, very bright globe of light in the sky. He described it as changing color from white to red to green in a liquid kind of melding motion. Again, the liquidity. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he went on to say that the group reported the experience the next day to a ranger on duty, um, who Rack said quickly dismissed the sighting, attributing the lights as coming from a grand opening at a hardware store in the town of Millinocket. Uh, Rack said, the guy said what we saw were these guys operating a searchlight in the back of a pickup truck, that there was no... But there was no way that this could have been any hardware store grand opening at 9 o'clock at night coming from 75 miles away. No, unless you have just an amazing searchlight. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I have seen I've seen grand openings uh, from, let's say, 30 miles away. You can usually see the searchlight sweep the sky, but it's like a really faded light. It's not it's not like there's a light above you. Yeah, shining down. it very much dissipates. Yeah. Um, Charlie also went on to say that the men never once discussed the possibility of having been abducted by aliens until years later after Jim Weiner suffered a traumatic fall and began to experience seizures. Uh, Charlie says after suffering this fall, he started having these visions of humanoid beings levitating above his bed, poking him with needles, and he attributed those to uh, the event. Uh, Jim Weiner, of course, eventually shared his visions, like we talked about, and uh, they... You know, the other ones seem to recall the same thing. They said the aliens performed what they perceived to be medical examinations on the men. But, I mean, Charlie Rack wants nothing to do with this. Well, again, I think it's just his own coping mechanism for not wanting to deal with it or not wanting to have mm-hmm. the pressure of it anymore. Um, you know, <clears throat> unfortunately, like you say, I mean, it, it gives skeptics uh, something to latch on to and say, well, here's. Here's one guy who said all this in the yeah. beginning, and now he's changing his story. Well, and it's interesting because in the Amityville story, the lawyer of, um, uh, what's his name, the murderer that was there, DeFeo, uh, that lawyer was the one that approached uh, Lutz about doing this, and, you know, we should, you know, get a book deal, and yeah. yada, yada, yada. So immediately, yeah. that means everything he said was fake. Right. Well, what happens here is Rack is also saying that they were compelled by Fowler to stay together. Saying mm-hmm. that it was Fowler that pushed them that they could that this could make them millions of dollars, and Rack even said, "In the end, we made very little." And once again, I'm like, Fowler was the one that was like, "We need to get each of these guys right. separate and do hypnosis." Well, and and I mean, Mufon's a pretty uh, respected organization out there, and Fowler, Fowler worked for Mufon at the time when he started all this. So I, I just can't imagine that he would have uh, went through all of this to. For the purpose of trying to make money. Yeah. He said eventually him and the others had a falling out because of it, after which is when he started telling people that the abductions never took place. Um, he, he wanted to say that it's not an outright hoax. He says, I don't call it a hoax. I just call it brilliant storytelling. It's not the truth, but I have to admire the storytelling ability of my old friends. Hmm. Uh, Rack also challenges what many believers of the abductions consider a key element of the case, which is the lost time the men allegedly experienced. The men all claimed, of course, that when they set out fishing that they had a huge fire burning at the campsite. 
Uh, and then when they came back, it was gone. Rack now dismisses this suggestion as complete, well, we'll call it manure. <laughs> <laughs> he says it certainly was a big fire. I agree with that. Those logs were maybe three inches. Some of them could have been almost three and a half inches. That's the biggest they could have been. And most of them were smaller. And as such, in the condition, those pieces of wood would have burned off very quickly. Uh, but Foltz, in a telephone conversation from his Massachusetts home, claimed very differently. Of course, he said, some of the wood we put on there was the diameter of my leg. I would say at least a good 10 inches in diameter. Easy. Hmm. So, I mean, they're still competing, fighting back Competing and stories, right. Like, this, this article came out in 2016, and so this guy contacted both of them. So at least as of 2016, these two were still alive. Um, another thing, though, and of course, and I was waiting for this, is uh, Charlie Rack also said that during the interview that he and the other members of the group had also been using recreational drugs on the night of the alleged abduction. Rack says, I remember Jack brought some Afghan temple ball with him to share with the rest of us. Yeah, we were definitely stoned out of our minds when we went out on the lake before we got that sighting. Well, then obviously it must be a hoax, right? Yeah, because, you know, their shared delusion... Right. Which, you know, happens. Um, according to Rack, he felt conflicted when others asked him whether the group had been under the influence of drugs or alcohol on the night of the encounters. I, he said, I remember being on Joan Rivers' show, and Joan was asking, were you guys drinking or taking drugs? Fortunately, I was sitting the farthest from her, but Jim was right next to her, and he had to field that question, and he lied. And that way, I didn't have to lie. Hmm. Uh, Foltz denies any drug use among the Allagash Four during the outing. Foltz has said, no, we bought an eight-pack of beer from Millinocket when we bought all of our supplies for the canoe trip. We each had one beer at Telos Landing the very first night, and we each had one beer at Fort Kent the last day of our canoe trip. We carried those eight bottles in, and we carried those eight bottles back out. I mean, just because uh, even if they did, you know, smoke a little weed, I mean, there, there's nothing, I mean... A lot of experiences have been heightened uh, because of, you know, hallucinogenic. Sure, type I drugs. mean, uh, look at MK Ultra. I mean, <laughs> that whole thing is—it's—it's it's insane to think about. Well, I mean, you think about a lot of the Native American uh, tribes. You know, right. that was how they connected with their gods. Was you know, smoke a little peyote, and yep. so yeah, put you on a higher plane. Yeah. Um, uh, so the other guys describe Rack as a man with a violent temper. <laughs> so here's the other side, right? So they said that he's been banned from a ton of UFO conventions, which he shouldn't be going anyways if he's saying it's, right, it's, it's all, not real. Yeah. But um, Fultz said, we definitely steer clear of him because this guy is a loose cannon and is a mental disaster area. Like they call him a whole mental disaster area. Um, and Jim, of course, Weiner, dismisses all of the new claims. He says, I personally believe that Mr. Rack's self-aggrandizing rationalizations and disparaging accusations are simply the rantings of an angry and resentful individual on whom his former friends have turned their backs on. <laughs> huh. We almost have to wonder if, um, if, this, is, if this is a re-attempt to bring attention to the story again. Again, for the purpose of, so, if if things have kind of died down over the years, mm -hmm. now 
I'm going to say I'm going to go and reverse my story. This is going to bring well, attention I mean, back to things. If you look at 2016, it would have been 30 years yep. later. So they, I'm sure the news was like, hey, what can we find right. newsworthy? Um, but it's interesting because a follower was originally supposed to be fully interviewed for this story. But the second he found out that Ch- uh, Ch- like Chuck Rack was going to be involved, he, he dropped. He didn't uh-huh. want anything to do with Chuck. So he, most of the stuff that they got was from an email. Um, Fowler wrote an email that said uh, Charlie Rack did not have very detailed recall of the abduction under hypnosis. He is the type of person who needs to be in control. He was not happy not being able to have a detailed recall of the abduction like we did. Thus, several years after the investigation, he claimed then he claimed that no one was abducted. Uh, so he he sat on the bench in the alien ship the whole time. Right. He was the guy on the bench that talked about. And he probably didn't yeah. have the same situations. He things happen. The same experience, yep. And so because he didn't have as, as full of an experience to talk about, he's felt slighted. And um, so then, yeah, this is kind of starting to fit together a little bit. Yeah. And Jim Weiner even goes on to say that after the Joan Rivers interview, it was Rack that tried to convince the men of new ways to capitalize on the case. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that, yeah, this definitely feels like a um, I wasn't a key player. So now I'm going to change my story. That'll make me a key player. Maybe I can get some money out of this. Yeah. So he goes on in the email. Weiner says, Charlie Fultz and I were visiting Jack and his wife, Mary, at their home in Vermont. One morning, Mr. Rack arrived at the house and declared that he had a plan to make a million dollars on our case. His proposal was that all four of them refute the professional handling of the case by Raymond Fowler, Tony Constantino, and Mufon, thereby creating controversy, which was in Mr. Rack's mind exactly what the media and the public crave and pay for. And pay for. Uh, in response to his proposal, Jack, Charlie, and Jim all voiced their disgust with his ethics and his proposal and announced their unanimous decision to have no further interaction with him regarding future Allagash projects. Unfortunately, they later forgave his inebriated indiscretion and appeared <laughs> together on a couple of TV projects and UFO conferences, but it was glaringly clear to Jack, Charlie, and Jim that uh, Mr. Rack's behavior was becoming increasingly pathological. And so... That that right there says he wa- he wanted to separate himself from the pack as a way to make money on yeah. the other side of things yeah. to be the refuter, the skeptic. Right, like you say, like it says in the article, create some controversy. Mm-hmm. Because you got to imagine those three guys will get invited to a show and be paid three ways, where he get, will come on and be paid one way. Right. Oh lordy, man! All about those greenbacks. Yep. Uh, man, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, one more thing I want to say is that uh, Rack never disputed Weiner's description of the events following that uh, the alleged deluxe, the, the alleged abductions, and claims that it freed him to finally share the truth about everything that evening. He said, "When when I was kicked out of the group, I felt a great release. I was at liberty to finally tell the truth. I don't have any sterling character to preserve." Hmm. So, so what he's saying is, is that his soul is available for highest bidder it is (laughs) (laughs) he also doesn't dispute alien abductions he thinks they are possible he says he's open-minded about it it just didn't happen to us (laughs) according to him (laughs) so but yeah i mean that's that's the allagash abductions man both from a skeptic side which turns out to be someone from that as well as you know everything else i 
I don't know. I mean, you know, I know I'm one of those people that, hey, I want to believe. Don't get me wrong. I know I'm bad about that. But, like, uh, this, I I don't know. If you look at, you know, some other cases that are out there, it, it fits that. Um, and it was, you know, information wasn't as widespread as it is now. Right. I mean, there, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing that when you start to actually go back and look at uh, the accounts from various periods of time over the last, you know, 30 or 50 years, uh, they all seem to, to share... Uh, similar or common themes like the table, the yep. the description of the aliens, uh, the description of how the abduction occurred, the description of time loss. Yep. And and at that time when these things, when the earlier ones occurred, you're right. I mean, there wasn't widespread media that really talked about this kind of. Thing. I mean, now granted, somebody probably could have gone to the what, the National Enquirer or something sure. like that, and somebody might have been standing in line at the grocery store and read the story. But it, it's it's more likely, I think, that. Um, those commonalities that exist between stories are there because these events are actually occurring. That's right. And speaking of stories, let's move on. We got to get to our listener story. Like we said, we have Stephen Stanek's mother. Uh, Stephen was a guest uh, two weeks ago, and uh, we his mother sent in a story. So here is her listener story. Hello, my name is Maria Stafford. I am Stephen Stanek's mother and I enjoyed listening to the podcast with him on it. I had no idea that my son was so much deeper into the paranormal than I am. It is true about the beautiful ghost woman that is at his dad's house. I've seen her. She had a blue dress and blonde hair, and she would come in the living room and swing the light back and forth. Also at that house, you would see shadows going across the window that Stephen talked about. It would freak me out, and I swear, they've been following me for quite some time. I don't know if they're still at my ex-husband's house or not anymore. I go over there occasionally and feed the animals during the day, and I don't like being in that house at night. It's so creepy. My house was just up two streets from my ex's to keep the kids close to their dad and their schools. We had a shadow man in my house that I saw many times. It is possible that it could have been from the couple there before us. You see, the husband there died, so the wife wanted to move out ASAP. Lucky me, right? No, not lucky. The shadow man would move our shoes, rock the rocking chair, and once he even got on top of me when I was putting my daughter down for bed. I was horrified. I felt a heavy weight on me. I was so scared. I opened my eyes and everything was blackness. I couldn't see the glow and the dark stickers on the wall or the light from the window or even the door to the hallway. I mean nothing, just darkness. I yelled for it to get off me and to go back to where it came from, and I felt it leave. I am good now. I even saged that house many times, but the shadow man seems to have relocated to my new husband's house. He won't let me sage his home because he is chemically sensitive because of fighting for our country in Vietnam. And things have escalated since I moved in with him. I am now fighting what I believe are demons every day. I lay in bed trying to sleep, and I get tapped on my legs or shoved, and they are even making my husband go crazy. I have to fight them every day. So I have a mantra that I use when they attack us. It is, Demons, go back to where you came from in the name of Jesus Christ. Anyway, the driving encounter that Stephen spoke about on the last episode is true. Stephen was passing, but there was a lot of traffic in front of us, and behind us, 
no cars going towards the other way, but there were cars going towards three points, so I let my son attempt to pass the slow-moving vehicle in front of us. All of a sudden, a car turns off onto the highway, and this car appears out of nowhere that turned. I felt the car should have seen us, but it came right for us, and we should have died. There was not enough time or space to pass the car in my gutless Bronco, too, so I started yelling, Slow down! Get back in place! I don't remember putting my foot on any pedal, like Stephen said, because that's an impossible thing to do. But it was right then that Stephen slowed down, and I grabbed the steering wheel and turned it hard right. We went right back behind the car we were trying to pass and straight off the road, and we came to a complete stop. And when we got out of the car, there wasn't a car in sight in either direction. It was a freaky feeling, to say the least. Were we being tested? I don't know. But I feel we passed the test because we lived, and that's all that mattered to me. But if I did push on those brakes, that was a miracle. Anyway, when it was all over, we saw nothing. I thought to myself, what happened to all the traffic that was there? The highway is always busy, and there was nothing for miles either way. Well, I have no clue what truly happened that night. But one thing I know is that my family is still alive to tell the tale. Okay, wow. Uh, yeah. Steven, your mom's got some dibs, man. Uh, <laughs> that was creepy. That, uh, yeah. And that. I like that she refuted a lot of, uh, not refuted, the opposite of that. Um, confirmed? Confirmed a lot of Steven's stories. I yeah. thought that was really cool. The, it's really interesting, the the shadow man that, yeah. that appears to be almost attached to that family. Yeah. That, that followed, followed her. Followed her, yeah. yeah. Uh, and in a way followed Steven. So. Yeah. Very interesting. But, yeah, please, guys, if you're listening, send your listener stories to us to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. We will take those stories and we will read them on air. Or you can send us a voice recording. Just let us know what you'd like to do. Either way, we want those stories. But we got to get out of here. It's time to roll, ladies and germs. We got to get rolling. Uh, But thank you so much for listening here on 100.9 FM WCHQ, uh, as well as the Destination Nation Network at DestinationComics.com slash DNN. Uh, We uh, are live every 9 p.m. Sundays at 9 p.m. And then the podcast drops every Wednesday following that. So be on the lookout for all of those. And uh, on that, we got to get out of here, man. Yeah, got to go. We got to get out before it gets dark and we see these lights. <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for tuning in. My name is Stefan, and I will catch you on the flip side. Yeah, this has been Josh. The truth is out there. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight. Good night, everybody. Good night.